Hello humans, my name is Jesse, aka The Bizzle, and welcome to Bizzlecast episode 7.0. Today, I would like to introduce to you my friend, Brooke Hardy, a Philadelphia-based singer. And Brooke, Hi, tell, guys. Us a, tell us a little about yourself. What's up? Uh, let's see, graduated a couple years back from Franklin and Marshall College. My claim to fame is that I sing, I suppose, and working with Jesse on a couple of new songs, trying to turn out an EP at some point this summer. Oh yeah. I guess that's about it. Let's get right to it. So apparently, what Brooke and I didn't know about each other until tonight is that we are both huge nerds when it comes to film and television and even music. Huge so we, nerds. Huge, huge nerds. And so we are going to jump right in it. Ready? Let's go. Let's do it. I'm much louder than Brooke, so we're going to put hey, the computer hey. in there, Brooke. What's up? I am not a quiet person. I have to put the input level so low when I record just Oh, myself, yeah. Oh, my name screen. is Jesse. That's <laughs> it. So you, know, you, you can't even you can't even max out even if you wanted to. <laughs> even if I wanted to. <laughs> this is how we do it. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going for. All right, here we go. That was just a sample for all y'all fans out there. Rastafari. Rastafari. All right, and we're back. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> okay, so music was obviously a big part of your experience in college even though it was pretty specific, but pretty intense at the same time. Um, for uh, those listeners out there who either haven't been in acapella or are really familiar with it um, intimately, you know, outside of maybe from a movie or from television or something like that, um, maybe you could just, um, I don't know, like what, what, what's, the, what, what's the appeal? What, what, what sucks you in? Um, you know, I know there's some rules about acapella, about how it's supposed to work. Um, I mean, you don't need to give me a full history here, but just, you know, what, what is it about it that, that attracted you so much? Uh, unfortunately, the thing that pulled me into acapella originally was merely just the competition of getting into the group. What kept me in the group was you can take a variety of songs, you can take any song, and you can do whatever you want with it. And for somebody like me who can only record vocal parts and layer them and create melodies that way, because I'm not particularly experienced with any instrument, even though I've had training, it's it's an ideal way to create music. So if you have if you're very visual with how you read music and you're terrible at playing, it's just the best. So you can take as a vocal arranger, you can take up entire piece that you would create and not only teach yourself that you can mm -hmm. teach a group right and then you can take not just your voice part but you can cover bass and tenor and everybody else right and you can have your soprano ones on the part that you can't cover quite or you can't cover well because you're in the middle of directing everybody that was what appealed to me about acapella was the arranging aspect and how much you could play with it i mean i guess that's what's always made me love music is how much you can play with it and how yeah. much you can create and how much space you have for creativity. But acapella was because it was strictly vocal. And that's always what I had been good at. So it, it allowed me to get a lot better and be around people who were even better than I was. Who could be like, oh, no, try it this way. Be like, Yes, why had I never been taught that before? That's brilliant. It's interesting how you put it um, about um, almost it oppositionally to other instruments because for me the human voice is both the most ancient of instruments and the most difficult of instruments i mean it'd be hard to do a poll um and you know i'm, I'm all about uh, creating fake statistics or or, or or i should say hypothetical statistics but if we made a certain level of let's just take Singers, guitarists, bassists, drummers, keyboardists, the basic, you know, whatever, jazz, rock, instruments, right? And we set a certain bar for what it, you know, being from just good to, you know, very good or great. I would think, especially in the Western world, where we don't all grow up 
singing and playing multi-instruments, which happens in, you know, Africa and Latin America and other places, um, that basically what I'm saying is there are a lot fewer really good singers out there than there are really good guitar players or really good drummers. And I'm not saying that, you know, the best drummers and best guitar players don't deserve what they have, but, you know, as a singer, you can learn how to play other instruments I think more easily than I mean, you either can sing or you can't, and there's a lot of practice that goes See, into it. See, I disagree it. with that. Yeah, completely. Yeah, I also kind of disagree with that because I couldn't sing when I was a child. I was terrible, mm. just the worst. I had to learn so much about breath support. I had to learn about lifting my soft palate because I would constantly go flat. That's still a thing I do when I'm not being conscious of it. Forget it. I'll go flat. Yeah, I will drop my soft palate and completely botch a song. Which is why it's, I guess that's why people think it's difficult. Because you are thinking about like 8,000 different things happening in one section of your body. But then again, that's probably true for somebody who plays like a brass instrument. And you're thinking about how the reed has to be wet to a certain point, And your fingers have to apply just the right pressure. And you have to use just the right amount of vocal support right. to nail that crescendo for the solo in verse 2, measure 24. Right. You know, so I don't know. I, I feel like... Well, it's very debatable. And and again, as I said before, you know, in, in some more traditional societies around the world Mm. where people are taught to both sing and play instruments from an early age, they're much more musically advanced overall as cultures than our culture is where I think a lot more kids today are exploring music than maybe did, you know, a few decades ago, um, where it's more of a specialized thing, but I don't know. I guess the greatest singers, like the greatest, um, and I know you love soul music, so, you know, I mean, it's, I don't even know where to start, but, you know, from Aretha all the way down to Lauren Hill or, you know, Erica Badu, whatever, I don't know. I don't know who you love, but bottom line is, when you hear someone like Erica Badu sing, you know it's Erica Badu. Mm-hmm. If you just played a guitarist for me, unless it was like Jimi Hendrix or maybe Santana, out of context, I'm not sure that I would have been able to identify, you know, that that player, certainly with drumming, and and I'm a guitarist, and so, you know, and I love and worship, you know, Pete Townsend and Jimmy Page and and Jimi Hendrix and all all the greats um, in terms of guitar and, and rock. But there's something about the voice, right, uh, that I think is a very, very precious commodity. And in a country like Mali, for example, which is a poor African country with amazing music, where we work with a lot of artists, there's so much musical talent, but some still rises to the top, you know? There's always the best singer, or in our case, you know, the best guitar player. You know, we, I mean, he's got a great voice, too, Via Farcatore, but he's, you know, he's like ridiculous guitar player and his dad won Grammys for playing guitar and he's even better than his dad and so but with with vocals especially I think everyone deep down wants to sing and I think this and this is a great transition is why people love karaoke so much and um just want to add really quickly that the, the whole reason that Brooke and I know each other is because we haunted the same karaoke spot probably for a while before we even you know, met or whatever, but one night I just heard Brooke sing and was just really blown away and, uh, you know, kind of <laughs> cornered her and gave her my card and um, and luckily she got in touch and now we're friends and working together and all that stuff. And so, but you have so many people at karaoke that have terrible voices, but it's just this outlet, you know, that even if you can sing, you can at least try and sing, right? Whereas if you've never played guitar or drums, you can't participate in That's that. That's true. Um, and actually, I have a friend who, as a side gig in D.C., has a live karaoke band that's, like, very in demand. So basically, they're, like, a full band, including some horn players and stuff. They know how to play, like, 300 songs, you know, soul, rock, funk, whatever. And people get to do karaoke with Where a live that? band. I want to go! In D.C., yeah. I'll send you some information. 
And so make a trip. people can, can pretend that they're a rock star for five minutes. And, uh, and that's why we have shows like The Voice and American Idol. And what, what, other, what other vocal shows are there out there? Because I'm really uneducated Ooh, about X this. Factor. X Factor. Uh, America's Got Talent. Okay. Which is a joke. Okay. Well, no, is that it's, just, the one with no, it's Stern? not a joke. It doesn't have a focus. It lacks a focus, and that's why I don't enjoy it. Is that the one with um, Howard Stern? That's the one with Stern. Howard Stern. Yeah, okay. I'd watch it just for him, but I don't know I would too. About it. Yeah. It, but it's, I wouldn't watch it from talent because it's so, so varied. I never, well, I never know what I'm going to get, but that's not why I watch those kind of shows. So you got the vocal shows, and then you got the dancing shows. Oh, so you think you can dance, 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 dance. There's that one. And <laughs> there's so you think you can dance, but that's what's called. Yeah, but okay. they always do the. That, that, I was just hit. I was yeah. hypnotized by that little performance there. Um, can't see it at home, but um, some real modern art shit going on right here. <laughs> um, okay, so what's what's uh, Dancing with the Stars? Right, isn't that one? Mm. We have celebrities dancing, mm. which Another is kind of ridiculous. That show. Now, are there any that are like pitch perfect where it combines dancing and singing? Yeah, the sing off. The sing-off. Yeah, the Poor Richards, actually, my senior year, we auditioned for that. Really? We did. We didn't make it past the first round. What what channel is that on? Oh, great question. I would go with ABC or NBC or Fox. Who are, like the fa- who are like the famous people on it? There are famous people on it? Oh, I don't know. I didn't even know about it until 10 seconds ago. Okay. No, I don't know. Okay, but that's like the one that, that's like the more serious, like the more... Yeah, I mean, by the end, I don't know how it starts. I So you guys dance too? Uh, no, all right. So my acapella group started in what 1968. It started as a group that danced and sang, and it very quickly over the years transitioned into a group that was really just about the music, sure, and less about the choreography, sure. So I think, God, in my time in the group, hold on, we got cat issues here. Yeah, go ahead. Your time in the group. I think in my time in the group, we might have choreographed maybe two songs. And that wasn't at all heavy choreography. Nothing like the stuff you see in Pitch Perfect. Nothing like the show tunes kind of performance. We probably could have done that, but the group would have hated it. And the hours we would have had to put in with everything else that everyone in the group was doing wouldn't have worked. Because like I, was, I mentioned earlier, some kids were on sports teams, some were in acapella groups, some were working on their pre-med track. You know, it varied. Well, I think... You know, and, and, and watching Pitch Perfect, um, and uh, uh, I like that this is kind of a running theme in the podcast, because I, I gave Brooke a very short introduction to the podcast, so she's a little new to the Bizzlecast, but I always like to work in, like, pop culture stuff, if it's very serious or very not serious, whatever it is, because, you know, for better or worse, this is what people are watching and listening to and whatever, and I think it says a lot about our culture, right? Um, but... You, you look at Pitch Perfect, and there's a reason why, like, Madonna and Janet Jackson in her prime were such superstars, because they could pull off the singing and the dancing. Yeah. And obviously there's been, you know, many, you know, lip-syncing questions over the years about many of these artists who are mostly women, because, let's be honest, women really are the only ones who are equipped, other than Justin Timberlake, to, to pull that off. sync. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, and so, actually, I, I grew up on New Kids on the Block. Oh, God. Who, All right, well, you wanted to date yourself. There you go. <laughs> that was, I mean, I was like five or six or seven when they came out, and okay. I just absolutely... Loved it, and they were, you know, they were the boy band before there were boy bands. Yeah. But, uh, um, so yeah, I don't know, I wish, I wish there was more of, of that, you know, combined artistry, but I, I think that doesn't really play to the shows where they're nitpicking about very specific things. So they want you to just dance, or just sing, or whatever it is. Whereas sort of a more multimedia performance where there could be, you know, specific lighting or, you know, art or, you know, video art or, you know, just other stuff going on. I don't think that would work within the framework of, you know, some of these, you know, reality slash game shows. I don't want to lie to you, I haven't watched Idol in a couple of years, but I remember back when the show first aired uh, towards the end, I mean, first of all, they were working in a much smaller space. 
They were working with like a grand piano. They didn't, I don't think they even had a full band in the first season. But by the end of the first season, they had Kelly Clarkson and, um, and the runner-up. They, they both had to do the dancing and the singing and the whole nine, the writing your own song and dancing to it to professional choreography with other dancers while having the full band. And by the time they got into later seasons, I don't remember that happening. Doesn't mean that it just right. hadn't all blurred together and I'm forgetting That's possible, it. yeah. But I feel like they did less of it. Yeah. Um, and it became more about the production level and, like, the lighting and the awesome right. camera angles and, the, right. again, more lighting and the lasers and the this and the right. rock, cool, and have them come out on the stage and the stage will go around the judges and right. they can walk around and... It's less about the artistry and more about the production features. Well, but my problem is, and I'm totally with what you're saying, but my issue is not with the heavy production. It's that the heavy production is being planned and executed by the show and not the artists. And that's what I was ah, referring well, to before. Yeah. You know, like, what if you could, you know, what if your performance had to involve singing? and dancing, and your own lighting people, and your own choreography people, and even your own camera people. I mean, how cool would that be, you know? To have your own crew, and they know all your good angles, and all that. Yeah, no, that would be ideal. Do you know that you 2 the band, sorry, a little side, uh, sidebar here, um, which is also a prominent feature, uh, prominent feature of Bizzlecast, um, the sidebars, um, is that I just read that you 2 when they're on tour, travels with 24 semi-trucks full of equipment. Lighting and sound equipment. 24. So, 24 giant 18-wheelers. That's unbelievable. How far we've come, well, if you want to put it that way. Point being, though, they want full control over their show. They, No matter what the venue, they don't want to rely on the venue for anything. It's having to do with sound or visuals or even the stage. They travel with stages. They just want stages. the electricity in the crowd. Yeah. yeah. They want to feel totally comfortable with it. And, uh, you know, I saw them... Even though I grew up loving you too, I didn't see them live until, and first and only time, 2000, right before I went to college, or maybe 2001, they were on the Elevation Tour. That was, a, that was the album with Beautiful Day on it, and uh, Stuck in a Moment, uh, those tracks. Uh, really my last favorite, the last U2 album that I really liked. I loved Beautiful Day. That, it was a great song. That whole, that, that whole album was, was pretty impressive, but Bono sort of lost his voice starting then and got worse afterwards. But anyways, they had a heart-shaped stage in which it went into the crowd, who were in the st general mission standing room, and there was crowd outside it, but also inside it. And throughout the show... Oh, cool. Yeah, and so throughout the show, Bono and, and The Edge, the guitarist, would find different and creative ways to like use the heart setup, yeah. and then of course Bono, being Bono, at one point lifts a girl, a, a woman out of the crowd. Um, not a young—I mean, she was probably in her thirties or forties—and just you could tell worship into it. And he got down on, on like one knee and was just like crooning to her, and you could just see the woman just swooning, crying. like crying and swooning, and just you know what I mean. I mean, he. he you know, he's been doing this for 40 years he until knows. he knows what he's doing. But point being, they want to control the entire production. And that's why I love watching something like Pitch Perfect instead of the stuff on TV because you like it or you don't and it works or it doesn't. You know, I just think Elizabeth Banks is, is brilliant. She's a comedic genius. She's a comedic genius and she gets drama too, though. Yeah. I mean... You know, she played freaking Laura Bush in an Oliver Stone movie, you know? Like, I feel like if I could cross the sense of humor of Tina Fey and Chelsea Handler, you'd have Elizabeth Banks. Interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah. she's. Uh, I think she's a lot more versatile than Tina Fey. I agree. Yeah, because she oh, can play dramatic roles. I think that she roles. can go in a lot of different directions. Yeah. Because she is a fuse of different kinds of humor. Right. She can do the prim and proper. She can do the potty humor. She can do the whole thing. But she can also be the sort of playful, somewhat slutty chick from 40-Year-Old Virgin or Wet Hot American God, Summer. even on, uh, not Family Guy, sorry, excuse me, uh, Modern Family, they even threw her in as like the alcoholic new mom and... Yeah, no, she plays all kinds of roles like that. Yeah, she can do anything. And even on a hunk, you go to Hunger Games. She can the whole run of the gamut. Don't even get me started. She can play anything. I my sister had to drag me to the second Hunger Games movie because I hated the first one. But 
Elizabeth Banks was just mesmerizing yeah, in this movie. And I actually <gasps> liked I liked the more what was that? Uh, what was the third one? Mocking Jay Part One. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I actually liked that one the best, but she had a very small role in it. And I'm hoping she has a much bigger role. Yeah, but they had Lenny Kravitz as PETA, so I was okay. <laughs> He made he made up for a little bit of that. Wait, what? Wait, was that the first? Was that the second movie? Or was Pita? The first of Pita's the, the blonde kid. No, oh, no. They do have Lenny Kravitz. No, I apologize. Lenny Kravitz plays a makeup artist with the uh, the gold eyeliner. He's a he's a capital. Oh uh, yeah yeah, guy. yeah yeah yeah. You're right, Pita. Shoot, what's his name? The makeup yeah no, Pita's Pita's all the makeup artist. Spoiler alert! If you're a Hunger Games fan, Pita's all mind fuck now. Remember? Yeah. They, that was like the end of the movie. He tries to kill Katniss. Yes. Which I thought was a great end of the movie. Even though I really don't like the actor who plays Peta. I mean, I don't intensely dislike him. No, he's supposed like to be him. like six foot three and he's like five seven. He's just not Jennifer interesting Lawrence or attractive. Like, but also Jennifer Lawrence is like five nine. So you can tell in like 90% of the shots that they're framing them in a very specific way to work around the parameters of the actor's size and height. Well, okay, but even forget that. Just acting that chops, though. Me. A- a- acting, ch- Yeah, Tom Cruise is like 5'6". Uh, okay, well, don't have him play Peter then. <laughs> and if it was a better actor, I wouldn't care what the height is. I just... That's like, no, but that's like getting a 6'1 guy to play Shaquille O'Neal in like a movie. You don't do that. All I know is Jennifer Lawrence has been frowning for three straight movies. That's all she does. Which is very unlike her. Yeah. Exactly. It's her character. Yeah. So they put her in drab clothing with no makeup, and she still looks great because she has a she's a natural beauty. While we're whilst we're sidebarring, I just yeah. want to uh, bring up Jennifer Lawrence yes. in uh, American Gangster. Uh, you mean American Hustle? Hustle. American Hustle. That's the one. She killed it. I thought she was, she was, well, she was my favorite character in the movie. I do not think that movie would have been as great without her role. I'm, let me preface my statement I'm about to make by saying that Jennifer Lawrence in Silver Linings Playbook is one of, is like, for me, is the equivalent of Scarlett Johansson in Lost in Translation. Just this, you cannot, she's her first big role, and you cannot, other than Hunger Games, that you cannot help but fall in love with her character. Um, in some ways more difficult than Scarlet Lost in Translation. It was a much different role. Um, but I intensely... Oh, and hold on. And Silvanic's Playbook and also The Fighter, both by David O. Russell, who directed American Hustle. I love those first two movies. I intensely disliked American Hustle. Really? I really disliked it. I think David O. Russell, if you look at The Fighter and Silver Linings Playbook, is best with small family movies. Okay. And I think he tried to do a movie where he said, "Oh, I'm going to be very un I'm going to be very un David O. Russell in this movie and do kind of a you know a, a, a sort of pulp, somewhat pulpy period piece or whatever." Um, which I have a problem with in, in, in principle. I actually thought Christian Bale, for me, was the only saving grace of that movie. I hated Bradley Cooper in it, who I love normally. I didn't, I didn't hate Jennifer Lawrence, but it just didn't oh work God. for me. Oh my God, Jennifer Lawrence in that role, she made me laugh so hard. I, I was, My dad I was loves like it. He, he keeps trying to get me to rewatch it. I was, I was disappointed. I, but this is, this is a bigger issue for me, which is the, now you have Hollywood... You know, so many Hollywood superstars in these movies where you have four, five, six. I mean, Robert De Niro was in American Hustle and no one even remembers it. I don't remember him being in Exactly, because it was such a small role. Now, sometimes it can work if they're all supporting characters like Hunger Games where you have Philip Seymour Hoffman and Julianne Moore and Elizabeth Banks and Donald Sutherland. That doesn't always work, but it's, you know, it's not horrible. Who, by the way, should be at least 180 pounds heavier. Yeah. For that role. You should have at least given him a fat suit. So I'm, I'm guessing you are a fan of the books. I am, yeah. Okay. I, I, I don't know what you're problem. referencing. Okay. Yeah. No, it doesn't mean you should talk about it. is supposed to be a huge drunk. And I don't mean a, a, like a person who drinks too much. Right. He is. But he's also huge. Physically. Right. And they totally miss that. But he's hysterical. And so from and a non-reader like me, I love him in the movie. It's so funny hearing hearing younger women talk about Hunger Games nitpicks is very similar to 
me and my nerdy friends nitpick like the Lord of the Rings movies. Ah, uh, I'm that way about Game of Thrones, so yeah. I get that. Oh, yeah, Game no, of season five. I would like. I'd like to burn season five, to be honest. I I stopped watching Game of Thrones mid season three and never looked back. That's a good idea. I yeah. should have done that. And I've been trying to preach this to people the whole time. I can't stop now, though. I, I can't know. help myself. I know, and I almost started watching this season just because of the dragons, but. No, you really shouldn't, because yeah. every time I get to the end of an episode, I look at whoever I'm sitting with, and they look at me, because they know I have way too much to say about comparing the episode to the books. Oh, so you've read the books? Abso- uh, so many times. Song of Ice and Fire. So many. I don't want to talk about it. I accept that I do. Wow. So, I didn't know you were a fantasy person. You this is know. so cool. You're the, I'm the biggest nerd I know. Oh, wait till you see my book collection. My oh, God. God. Don't get me into like Zelda or Metroid, because then we'll never stop talking. <laughs> But um, the whole thing with Thrones is and now when I get to the end of the episode and I'm sitting with my friends and they have learned that I've, I've gotten better about muting myself while watching the episode so now they know to look at me at the end of the episode. So wait, are you like that old lady in theater that's going, that's making not how noises it happens. the whole time? Uh, yeah. How, how, how dare they? It doesn't happen that way. Yeah, no, that's me. And so it gets to the end of the episode and they look at me and they wait and I just go, I just shake my head and I sit there and I stare blankly at the screen for like two minutes. I'm just like, it's not how it happens! <laughs> yeah, I can max out. Oh yeah, you definitely max that out. Yeah, we're going to have to bring that down a little bit. It's not how it happens! <laughs> wait, hold on. We're talking about movies now. Here's the second one. The second one's smaller. Oh, 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 oh. No, I don't care about that. Um, yeah, we're just getting excitable here, so I just want to make sure. So, um... All right. Well, this is fascinating. So you're into fantasy and you're into like fantasy books and movies. I had no idea. I usually don't bring this up, especially with girls, because I think I'm a huge freaking nerd. No, I only know how to be nerdy. Okay. So I haven't read the Hunger Games books. I've seen the movies. Travesty. I have not read Game of Thrones books. Travesty. Which is a travesty because I, we have to understand that from age like 10 to 16, I read probably like 200 fantasy books. And I've read The Lord of the Rings like five times. But anyways, I do want to read the Game of Thrones books. or It's called Song of Ice and Fire, I believe, is the official name for the series. You don't have to read The Hunger Games. No, I'm not planning to. You do yeah. have to read I will. Game of Thrones. I will. I will. Okay. I will. Um, and I'm a big critic of Game of Thrones. I actually thought the first season was great. And the first was season was the only season they nailed... Point for point to the book. Well, that's because they killed off all the good characters in the first season. And that's exactly how it happened in the book. Right. And this is a question I want to get George to. George R. R. Martin knows what he's doing. All right. So we're going to just get to dive into this because I'm fascinated by this because not only don't you strike me as someone who'd be super into fantasy, but also, but even more so as someone who is such a stickler of page to screen. Yeah. Um, and such a stickler well what's interesting in is so i grew up among loving fantasy books and star wars i also love marvel comics growing up okay so i see all the marvel movies and i love most of them a lot but i listen to podcasts and like reviews online and it's like oh iron man suit needs to look like this or like oh hawkeye doesn't talk like that in the book and i'm just like who fucking cares people you know, Age of Ultron is a fucking awesome movie. Like, so they change some characteristic and plot points around. Like, to me, I can kind of separate the two. Although, you know, it's taking me time to do so. I think The Lord of the Rings was the first time I had to sort of challenge myself to do that. Because I was in college and that, you know, I was I was basically scared out of my mind that they were going to just destroy The Lord of the Rings. And, and for the most part, I thought they did a great job, personally. As, and, and I'm a loyal reader, and I actually like some of the changes they made for the screen. So, I mean, so do you, do, do you want it to be exactly a page-to-screen representation, or it's just that these are, like, some elements that you wish they had sort of kept from the book? And you, because it would make it, as I call it, a better cinematic experience. Okay, that's a loaded question. Yes, um, the the short answer is yes. Yes, I want it to be um, uh, nearly, I would say, eighty percent identical page to script, uh, page to screen. So there are a couple of things like, um, so you do watch the TV show? Which show? Thrones. Um, no, I watched the first two seasons, right. most so of three, okay, and so... some before. All right. Well, Basically, this, assume this I've example... watched through three. I'm jumping ahead anyway. You it's can spoil. Spoiler alert, Game of Thrones. 
uh, Danny ends up having a paramour, paramour at one point. And Khaleesi? Yeah. Khaleesi. Side note, Amelia Clark, huge fan of. One of the many reasons I am angry at Game of Thrones is they wasted her in seasons two, three, and four. She was awesome in season one. Wasted her in season two, three, and four. And nerd alert, I am really excited to see her in a month as Sarah Connor in the new Terminator movie. Me too. I think that's going to be fucking sweet. Oh, we got to see that together. Done. Ayo. Ayo. So my deal is that you get... There, there, there are certain pieces of the show, I'm sorry, the books that won't translate into a show. For instance, um, her paramour having specifically a blue beard at one point, and like it's like forked in like three different directions, and he has like curly, ridiculous, bright shoes and like these huge puffy pants. And that's in the book, or is yeah? It? Okay. And I get them not putting that in the show, right? Because no one would take him seriously. Well, it's like I the tight spandex with the comic book heroes. It just doesn't okay. always translate. So I get that, right? That I get. Right. Okay, it's the same thing within the Hunger Games when you're in the capital. They draw the capital as a very futuristic, chrome-like city. The capital in the books is described as having, like, brightly colored, multicolored, every single color, brick everywhere. It's just a colorful, candy-colored friggin' city. Whoa, wait, hold on. So this is a complete reversal of the post-apocalyptic look of Hunger right, Games I'm a- movies. I'm aware. So there are, there are pieces like that that don't get included, and that bugs me, but I also get why it's necessary to change it for the on-screen representation. I get that. For me, it comes down to more of the, the individual things where, like, if you're going to do characters like, um, what's her name that Elizabeth Banks plays in The Hunger Games, if you're going to bother to give her that ridiculous pink wig, follow through with how it is in the books. Because if you're going to go halfway, just commit to it. Otherwise, if you're going to change it, just change it. Don't go halfway and then half-ass it. So in the uh, TV show for Game of Thrones, they were spot on for all of season one. Like They really didn't F up at all. They missed maybe one or two things. With like They don't talk about um, Ned's sister, Liana. They missed that. That's about it. But that's a perfect example of something I would probably cut out as a writer. Because no, it's you unnecessary. Have. You wouldn't have cut it out. It's entirely necessary. And now no one who watches the series has any idea about an entirely important plot point that I've known about since book one that nobody who watched season one has any idea about. And I can't have a conversation with anyone who watched the TV show because none of them know because they didn't bother to translate that pivotal point of who a specific character's parents are and why he is so important. They oh. don't translate that. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate here Please and say do. that I think it's better when it's different because then you can have two different experiences of the same thing that you freaking love. And this goes back to where I said this is a loaded question for me. So I grew up reading manga. Japanese comics essentially. Because I can grab my ghost in the shell right now if you want. I already watched all of them. Oh I mean the the books. Yeah, I didn't read them, watched it. Okay. Um, but so this point might be really valid for you. Sailor Moon was my manga. Mm. Was my gateway manga, mm-hmm. and it is still my favorite to this day. So the original cartoon that they created based around Sailor Moon. Point of was point fun, of reference. Uh, manga are the graphic novels. Anime are the TV and film properties. So when they created the anime, it was entirely different from the written work, the manga, and that drove me. Only a little nuts. Probably should have drove me really nuts. Looking back over the years, by the time I was a young adult, it really started to bug me that there was no real way to watch the manga because they hadn't copied it part for part at all. They inserted right. nothing but fillers. And fillers, for those who don't know, are things that aren't in the books. They just kind of toss them in to take up the airwaves and time on TV. But for some reason... They decided on the 20th anniversary of Sailor Moon being created that it was time to reach out to the original author and completely redo the TV series so that it was identical to the manga. So you get purists like me who went batshit crazy for that and will buy all of the things, like everything that they put out, all of the merchandise, I'll buy all of that. I don't care how much it costs because I'm a purist like that and you're bothering to make the TV show for me and you're bothering to spend all that money, yeah, I'll buy all of your memorabilia. Charge me a hundred bucks a piece. Don't care. This is how I've liked this show for 20 years, as long as it's been around. 
So then you get people like me who will spend the money on the merchandise and then it makes sense for things like that. Hey man, I still buy graphic novels. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to judge you or criticize you. I'm, I'm right there with you. But I will say that, you know, I mean, I say this as someone who's seen a lot of films, but also someone who's sort of an amateur student of filmmaking. I'm like the nerdy guy that listens to the commentary tracks on all the movies mm -hmm. I love and everything. And the bottom line is... There are some things that work in books that don't work on screen and vice versa. And including characters that you either subtract or add or change for various reasons. It just because of the time difference. I mean, you know, a book can be infinitely long, basically. There's a time limit on movies. TV shows have a little bit more room to expand. But having not read Game of Thrones... I get the impression that it's too much like the book, and that's why I don't like it. And maybe if I liked the book, I would be more into it. But I feel like I'm reading the book watching the show. And that's, I should, don't want that experience. You I, should absolutely watch all of the other seasons then. I, it, but my bigger problem with Game of Thrones is that there are no good guys. They're all bad guys. And I'm just, you know, I, I don't need, like, heroes and villains necessarily all the time. But everyone is so despicable and disgusting. And it's it's not even believable. I mean, even someone like me is a cynic about people. <laughs> like, the Game of Thrones world is so beyond cynical. Um, and it's just dark and it exploits women and has pointless violence. And I just don't God, really get really? it. Yeah. Okay, I'm a cynic, and I think that Game of Thrones is entirely realistic for how a world that existed under those circumstances would have been. I think it's one thousand percent realistic for how that the may world be true. Would have but if I was magic had existed and dragons had been around and sh you know shit like that, I, I do think it's uh, kind of accurate. I just think the book more so though than the TV show. I mean, for me, the only real like relatable characters are well. I mean, I guess Rob Stark and his mom got killed. So we'll say Jon Snow, um, Arya, who was my favorite character in the first couple seasons, and then they just, like, wrote her out of the next two seasons, mostly. At least, well, at least season three. And some, uh, I don't really remember much, anything going on with her. Um, and Needle. And, um, you know, and clearly the star of the show is... Um, uh, Peter Dinklage, what's his character's name? Tyrion Lannister. Yeah. Um, he's, he's really the heart and soul of the show. But, um, I don't know. I mean, as someone who loves fantasy, as someone who loves fantasy, it's just not in the spirit of fantasy. And I get that's why... It's dark not, fantasy! Well, I get that's why people who aren't... It, that's the thing. As soon as Game of Thrones became, like, a cultural thing... And now everyone thinks they know about dragons and swords and medieval things and stuff. It's like, fuck you, okay? I was reading fantasy like 30 years ago. You didn't even pick up one book. You've probably not even read The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. And now you're some kind of expert about fantasy. It's like, no, you watch it because there's a lot of fucking and there's a lot of violence and it's, it's dark and, you know, there's cool sets and costumes and stuff like that. It's a total, total guilty pleasure show, which I'm actually okay with, but I just don't see anything redeeming about the characters or the story. Like, nothing, nothing attract. like, I can't even get through one episode. Sometimes I'll just, like, put on a random episode to try and get into it. I'm just like, I can't get into this. It's so slow and nothing happens. It's just, there's no character development. It's like, it's just plotting. Everyone's just plotting. All plotting, the character plotting, plotting. development is in the books, I swear. All no, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So, um, so, but I guess just to, just to circle back, you know, the idea is you're going to have to change, whether it's a TV show or a movie, you're going to have to change some elements. I agree. And... I just would have changed a lot less. Just in a, a Game of Thrones? Absolutely. Well, because it sounds to me like Hunger Games change more than Game of Thrones is changing. No. Okay, you're saying that's no, not no, the no, case. No, no, okay. no, no, no. I would say that um, Hunger Games made some poor casting choices. That's about it. Yeah. I would say that Game of Thrones made nothing but perfect casting choices and then made some dumbass decisions like getting rid of Barristan Selmy's actor. He is a pivotal character in book five. They got rid of him and now Danny's plotline can't possibly be anything like the books. It can't be because they killed off a character that's... I 
literally pivotal to her existence. But just because they nailed the casting doesn't mean they nailed the character. Like I can t say. But they did. Well, but but I can. I think they did. I, I should preface by saying I believe. All right, hold on. Let me just give an example. When it comes to Daenerys, aka Khaleesi, or how it's spelled, it should be Khaleesi, but whatever. Um. Okay, Mr. Israel. Uh, no, it's actually Arabic. Oh, damn yeah. it. <laughs> close, though. Close. Damn it. Close. Good, good, sh good time. Good, good time. Yeah. Um, I can. Re I remember every little plot point involving her in the first season when Jason Momoa was still in the oh, show. Loved him. And who's now Aquaman, by the way. Love him. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. But um, I can't tell you three things that happened. I can tell you three things that happened in seasons two, three, or four with Daenerys, other than a failed assassination attempt, freeing a bunch of slaves, and. The dragon's getting slightly bigger each season. That's pretty much all I remember. And that's sad because I think Amelia Clark's super talented. I hope she gets her big break now with the movie and everything. But, you know, it's a waste. I mean, you know, I mean, it, maybe Jon Snow has gotten more complex than the last time I watched it. But he's kind of a one-dimensional character. No, they've made him a one-dimensional character on the show. He, well, I'm sorry, two-dimensional. He is, I care about the watch, but I care about my family more. Except they haven't really shown that. They've, nah, they've, they made him on the TV show be, I care about my duty, but I care about humanitarian causes more. Where in the book he was, I care about my duty, but I'm going to abandon the wall for my family. He better become a king or something. Better become a king. Um, I know. have <laughs> no. I won't tell you. Don't you worry. I, I, it's not spoiling for me. Read the think... last chapter of the book. No, no, no. For, for our audience, we won't spoil it, even though I don't give a crap. But No, they can spoil it for themselves. Um, Like, I would never have killed Rob Stark. Just because he is a studly dude who is a really good actor, has great charisma. I don't care what happened in the book. I know the whole Red Wedding thing, blah, 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 shock value. See, here's the thing with Game of Thrones. It's all about shock value. You take the shock value out, it has not that much going on for it. It's like The Wire without any real character development. I stopped watching The Wire after the first episode because I got bored. But see, that's the whole point. You gotta keep watching for a few episodes. <laughs> Because I'm sure you've had plenty of people talk to you at this point about it being the greatest drama ever um, on television. So many people. Yeah, um, it actually puts a lot of. It, actually, that was a hang-up for me. With so many people, it was the same thing with Breaking Bad. It was like so many people were. I like, this is the best Breaking show ever. Bad, yeah, but then it became anticlimactic because it wasn't as good as people had talked it up to be. Because so many people had talked it up. For See, so that's long. interesting because I was. I had the opposite reaction, which was like. Oh, it can't be nearly as good as people are saying. And I actually like liked it better than I thought I was going to. Cause I and see, this is something I talked about a couple podcasts ago um, when I was talking about going to see the new Avengers movies. Cause I am a big Marvel nerd. I love. Ah, no spoilers. Haven't seen it. No spoilers. And it's directed by Joss Whedon, who I love, who directed Firefly and Serenity and Buffy and Angel. Serenity, and, really? Yeah. Yeah. I love that movie. Yeah, he actually wrote Toy Story too. He wrote the, the not Toy Story. He wrote too. Serenity. And Toy Story? He, yeah, he wrote the original Toy Story script. That's vastly different. He also did Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV show. Now we're going in another direction again. Yeah. I like this guy already. Yes, so he's brilliant, he's hilarious, and but I talked about how, you know, I'm such a Marvel zombie, as they say, that I had to go through a process of consciously lowering my expectations going into Avengers Age of Ultron, because if I didn't, my head was going to explode and anything that I saw was going to be disappointing. And what's funny is you see that reaction among nerds on the internet. And I see that lovingly and often call myself a nerd or a super fan or whatever you want to say. I'm proud of that, but you could just tell they went into it either looking for things to dislike about it. Because the first one is like gospel or, you know, they're ex so I went through a process of lowering my expectations and being open to it and I freaking loved it um, and what's funny is if you look at the mainstream ratings in terms of like user scores like IMDB or Rotten Tomatoes for Age of Ultron it's like through the roof but if you go to nerd websites it's like very mixed so you have the most comic booky movie ever made which the general audience is actually enjoying more than the nerd audience because the nerd audience is, has such lofty expectations that will never possibly be met and I'm not saying that's what's happening with you because like I said 
I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I'm a nerd about a lot of these properties, and I get very nervous about it. I think part of the thing with the new Avengers was I just trusted Joss Whedon from the other Avengers movie and all the other stuff he's done. I knew it wasn't going to be shitty, but, um, but still, at the same time, I think, you know... It, 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 I don't know. What I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, it's I think like, you're totally right. And there's just one last point I want to make. Yeah. Not to beat a dead horse. Yeah. But the way that you feel about the wire, or you feel like you had to sit through a couple of episodes, that's actually how I originally felt with Game of Thrones. I watched three seasons. Okay. For me, with Game of Thrones, I watched half of an episode. And got bored. I love the first episode. Okay. Yeah. Well, my first experience was I got through half and stopped watching. Yeah. Then I watched the whole episode. Still wasn't totally enthralled. Then I watched about half the season. By the time I got halfway through the season, I was like, holy fuck, this is epic. So then I kept watching. And by the time I got to the end of the first season, I knew I had to read the books before the next season came out. So I got book ones through three finished before the next season came out. I think I had, I was like halfway through four. And then I finished five like a month after season two or season three had even aired. So my experience was the opposite, but I forced myself to do it because everyone said it's so good. And I listened and they were right. And then the writers butchered it. I think the writing Sorry, is... Sorry, Daniel yeah. and David, I love what you guys did in season one, but that's it. Yeah, and Alan Taylor as well, who butchered the second Thor movie, but I won't even go there. He's a Game of Thrones guy as well. He tried to make Thor into Game of Thrones, which is ridiculous. If you ever read the comics or seen the movie and seen Thor, seen Chris Hemsworth, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, love Chris Hemsworth. Oh, yeah, definitely. What woman doesn't? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm more of a Captain America guy myself, Chris Evans, but I do love Thor as well. But anyways, um, point being, you know, I, it's, it's an interesting time where you have... Just very varied interpretations of of um, of medium or, or media when it comes to these properties. I mean, Star Wars for God's sakes. I mean, you've got adult books, you got kids books, you got comic books, you got cartoons for kids, mm -hmm. you got cartoons that are for sort of kids and adults. You've got the new movies, but now they also have the spin-off movies coming. I mean, just unbelievable. Lego Star Wars. The Lego movies. Star Wars. The the you know you buy a cool Star Wars app on your phone. You're like, oh, it's only a couple dollars, and then you're like, you can't really do anything like without in-app purchases. It's like, you know, and I think the quality of these these movies and TV shows for the most part have been pretty high, and so we can sort of overlook the weird materialist side of it or the water da watering down. But it seems to me. Whether you go from, you know, on television, let's just say Breaking Bad, Wire, you know, Mad Men, Game of Thrones, you know, that whole kind of thing, um, uh, you know, all the way to the movies, the Marvel movies that have been really pretty good so far, and like the new Star Wars movie, which I think is going to be pretty good. Yeah, so it looks promising. It does look lines. promising, yeah. and you know, at some point though, the hip hop that the hip. Hip <laughs> the, the hypocrisy shit is going to hit the fan, if yeah. you know what I mean. You know, um, the amount of money being spent, the amount of money being made. And, you know, I've talked about this on past podcasts a lot, which is just my, my worry that, you know, at some point, as good as the quality is, I just think there's going to be oversaturation of these kind of things. Like, how many, like, dark dramas are on, violent dramas are on television now. There's so many. I mean, you throw in, like, True Detective and Ray Donovan, and, like, you just go on all day with these, like, dark, you know, dark dramas. That's, well, like, how many NCIS or right. SVUs are there? You know? <laughs> right, right. LA SVU, NYSVU, this SVU, that SVU, Miami yeah. SVU. It's just funny. I just actually re-watched re uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall recently. That's a great movie. Where, you know, where um, Kristen Bell is on that horrible show that's basically CSI, they call it crime crime scene or something. Her and uh it, Billy Baldwin <laughs> are on it. It's like and uh they're just making fun of it. But yeah, but but that's the thing, is like those shows were meant to be pulpy from the beginning, you know. These shows were meant to be serious, mm -hmm. but you know, I, I just I don't know what 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 the next step is because all of these cool shows, which would have been considered like really indie 10 or 15 years ago, like The Wire wasn't indie, even though it was on HBO, no one was really watching it. 
it was sort of an unknown show until everyone started buy, buying the DVDs and Netflix and everything, and then it became a big thing. Breaking Bad too took a few seasons to get going, but now the the the, the spotlight, the magnifying glass on these properties is so strong. Um, I, I don't know where the next batch of creativity comes from. Maybe Netflix, the Netflix original series, like those kind of things. It's gonna be Netflix or it's gonna be Hulu or some kind of service like that. Yeah. I mean, Roku has an interesting corner market on that because Roku allows you to fuse all of your different platforms together from Netflix to Hulu to whatever. Right, like Apple TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think it'll probably come from something like that. Yeah. Yeah, one of those companies that's making a killing will create their own platform that claims to be better than everybody else's or something. But even Netflix, and again, this is coming from a Marvel zombie, but even Netflix, who has House of Cards and Orange is the New Black, which are considered... You know, great shows. I don't really watch either of them, although I know lots of people who watch both. And, you know, won awards and stuff. Marvel releases the 13-episode Daredevil series on, on Netflix, and within one week they renew it, which was never supposed to happen, and is now the most watched already, even though it's only been out for like four weeks, the most watched Netflix I've heard it's series incredible. ever. Everyone says it's amazing. And somehow I, you know, I'm, 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 it's like I'm saving it for a rainy day or yeah, something. Yeah, so I can binge watch yeah. it. Yeah. But this is the thing, like, even being the huge Marvel fan I am, I, I'm glad this is happening, but the oversaturation just really worries me. And of course, you know, with comic books and mangas, it's, it's the nature of the business to be oversaturated. Like, there's always going to be way more comic books and graphic novels than people can buy and, and read, but... You know, the budgets for these movies and television shows is just absolutely ridiculous. And so uh, I know there will be a backlash, and I've been trying really hard to kind of, you know, uh, predict or, or prophesy what that, prophesize what that backlash will look like. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that in terms of movies and TV. I mean, you think people will just go back to the really mindless stuff, or, or does think, do things get more indie? Like, I don't even know what people want entertainment these days. I can't, I can only speak for myself, I can't yeah. speak for everyone, but I can say personally when I get too inundated with the dramas and the fantasy crap and all that, I go back to music, not to bring things yes. to a circle or anything, but I will absolutely go back to like a musical comedy or like a Rent or a Pitch Perfect if I'm tired of that genre. I have nothing else to pin my own fears and... Things that I don't like about my own life on something mindless, I'll watch a horror film that mm. has nothing to do with anything in my life. Did you see Mad Max, Fury Road? Mm, is it a horror film? It's pretty horrifying. Okay, because I feel like I've it's, seen a couple of commercials It's an apocalyptic that. action movie that's really, really disturbing. See, that sounds like fun. That doesn't sound yeah. scary. It's not a slasher film, but it's it's gross. And it, it, it's horrifying. I wouldn't say it's a... It's, it's, yeah, it's not like a... <laughs> kind of film. So you rather know. than scary, it's more of a visual scare. Like the visuals you see are going to yes, yes harm you mentally. It's like weird looking midgets with giant tumors that they give names to. Exactly. And like there you go. they're all drinking milk from these fat. Uh, they're drinking mother's milk from these. They have like a farm of women who just pump out breast milk all day, and that's what they drink because they don't have any other food and. It's 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 horrifying, uh, but <laughs> uh, but but I, it's a good segue because I was gonna say I saw that movie in, I saw that movie the day after Pitch Perfect, and you know ten years ago it wouldn't have even been close. I would have been like, oh yeah, Mad Max, way better. But I'm sitting there during Mad Max, just watching guys with skull masks and scars and tattoos, you know, kill each other, and I'm going. Really, Pitch Perfect was actually a lot more entertaining than this because I'm so used to seeing it's there's just so much dark apocalyptic shit. Yeah, we've kind of started to take that genre for granted in the last ten years. Fifteen even. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I don't give the Hunger Games movies more shit than I do, even though I think they're very flawed. And I read the books. But I, I don't give the Hunger Games more more shit because they at least have a very or I should say the author the author Stephanie We'll do an insert here later. Stephanie Myers? Ha! Stephanie Myers. The author Stephanie Myers. Of The Hunger Games has a brilliant vision for a post-apocalyptic future that's like somehow managed to be super disturbing but also accessible to teenagers at yeah. the same time. Because it's her going through two boys and not having any idea what she wants while she's going through an internal crisis. 
Well, not to mention the whole let's have kids kill each other and put it on television, which I think there's was... some reality TV for you. Yeah, exactly. Versus like San it's like, Andreas. It's like Lord of the Flies meets yes. the apocalypse survival community. Yeah, yeah. You know, I never thought of the Lord of the Flies connection, but that actually makes I mean, a lot of sense. What happens in the Hunger Games is kind of Lord of the Flies. It's they have to decide amongst themselves if they're going to make a snap decision to not listen to the rules and to try and survive as a group. Or if they are just going to follow through and kill each other off. And I mean, Lord of the Flies is a very different take on that, but I've always seen a parallel between the two. Right, especially because it involves kids. Yeah. Yeah. Kids and them having their first time really having an opportunity to make decisions like that that affect if they live or die. Yeah. But, you know, zombie movies, for example, which I understand is like its own genre at this point, Um, but... You know, if it's not 100, what was it called? If it's not 28 Days Later or... Love that movie. Yeah, or I Am Legend. Or Dawn of the Dead. Right. I mean, there, there's a few that are artistically pretty cool. Um, see, I prefer my zombies in, like, Serenity, where it's, like, half comedic, Joss Whedon style. I'm not really into... I, I just, I don't know. I think it's, it's overdone. The vampire thing is way overdone. The werewolf thing is way overdone. Um... I, I don't know how you feel about Twilight, but I, those movies are an abomination as far as I can tell. Twilight I was forced to read and watch because of my mother, who is, hold your breath, 40 years older than me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at least with Harry Potter, which I was sort of already growing up when that started, so I never really got into it. My sister loves the Harry Potter books, and so she's I, read I them all. I usually don't trust people who don't enjoy Harry Potter. Not that I don't enjoy it, I just never got around to it. Okay. But but I would go with my sister to the movie. That would be like a brother-sister thing you that we would do. You should probably get around to reading Yeah, I probably should. But the point is, the point is, I, I have mad respect for Harry Potter because it's so creative. And that's, that I think is really the key. As long as these fantasy sci-fi properties continue to be A, creative, B, accessible, and C, socially relevant in some way or another, then I think we're probably in okay shape. But there's only so many ways you can film a comic book movie. There's only so many ways you can film a zombie movie. And so I just wonder if, like, Rock, for example, you know, I mean, I'm a child of the 90s. I kind of feel like Rock died with grunge. And and not that there haven't been good rock bands since then. You know, the indie rock movement, there's some good stuff to come out of that. But musically speaking, it's still very derivative of... You know, indie rock is sort of a combination of... Well, it's hard to generalize, right? Because it's such a huge genre now. Agreed. But w- let's let's start with, the like, the strokes, those first few years of, like, you know, the new indie rock. It was a mix of, like, early 60s, um, like, the zombies or, or the kinks kind of stuff. Some 80s, for sure, with, like, the synthy stuff. But sort of then the dark, darker, grungy, right, kind of thing. So you got a little bit from each... From each decade, but it's not really innovating, um, and so you know, I'm not saying rock is dead, but I do think it's well, well past its prime. But I, I don't want that. it to. be. I'd say the only real artists that we've had come out of the rock scene in the last decade, not the only one. The only one I've really taken specific note of have been the Black Keys. Mm. But that's not to say other people haven't come out of the scene because they have. They just haven't been my favorites. I mean, I have much love for the Black Keys because they called us up and specifically asked to produce one of our artists. And, Seriously. Yeah, and he now brings in like 50% of our revenue because the Black Keys not only produced him, but put him on their label. Which one of your artists? His name's Bambino. He's a, cool. he's a blues rock singer and guitarist from Niger. And, uh, and they just heard it on the tour bus. And just literally just like called us and... Flew um, Bambino out to their uh, Nashville studio for three weeks, put them up, recorded the whole thing, produced it, played on it. in Nashville. Yeah. But, they're too cool for Hollywood. But I don't think they're particularly innovative. And uh, I don't really think I'm <laughs> offending anyone here in my, my circle by saying that. I really respect them. I like their music. But, you know, I, I think someone like... I see, I know so little about modern music. It's pathetic. And this is hilarious, by the way, Bizzlecast listeners. This was supposed to be a music podcast, and 
This is now very much a TV film podcast with me and my buddy Brooke. Um, so music will have to be for another time. But point being, I just I don't know that much about you know about kind of modern music, and it's interesting that like the the rock bands that sell out the most places are Who, U2, Rolling Stones, Pearl Jam, bands that have been around forever, and I think the music industry. We recycle and move through artists so quickly. In the older days, they let bands build up a following over time. So that U2 has now been playing for uh, 35 years. The Who have been playing for 45 to 50 years. That's how the Rolling Stones, Pearl Jam's been playing for uh, 20 plus years. Um, and so I think that's part of the problem with rock as well. I, I, are you a big rock person? I've never really I'm talked about this. I'm not a huge rock person. I'm not going to say I don't love rock because I do. It's just not my, the first thing I will tune to. But I'm not going to lie. I've, I will binge listen to my Black Keys playlist. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, it's not just the Black Keys. It's other artists, like you mentioned, like The Who and The Kinks, which specifically I only learned about from a couple of coworkers more recently. Not that I didn't know they existed. I didn't know I liked their music. Um, but yeah, no, it just depends on my mood. But I think there's, are you kidding? There's definitely a time and a place for rock. I'm just, I'm all about talent, right? And so, you know, people will get on me because I'll defend Miley Cyrus. Wait, I love Miley Cyrus. Right, because like you understand talent. Well, yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, and she's you know. got a very, uh, guttural might not be the best word, but it's the best word I can think of at the moment. For a female voice, it's it's very very alto, very gravelly, and I love that. Well, and it's got the southern twang yeah, without being yeah, country. It's very, but yeah, those wide vowels while still having that gravel quality is great. Because she's not like I can't, I can't, I change her heart's in vain. There's a difference between that, and you don't get that from like a typical pop artist it's going to be more classical and more about lift your soft palate correctly and form your vowels correctly right well she's a natural i mean she's miley i think is someone who's a combination of a natural talent who was raised from youth to be yeah a musician clearly um and i worry about her mental health like so many of these young artists but point is i recognize talent there bruno mars is someone else honestly i i, I my mom has my mom who's by the way, super hip. You know WXPN, right? X, mm -hmm. the, the Penn Music Station, the World Cafe Live. So they've been around forever, and they're always on the forefront of like the coolest music, you know, cross genre. My mom's been to Bruno Mars forever, and she plays some tracks. I'm like, yeah, it's okay. And then he played at the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, and instead of just coming out on like a giant Triceratops or whatever fucking Katy Perry came out on. Tiger, Tiger, yeah. I wanted it to be a Triceratops. I think that's why I said that. Um, that, which, that part was cool. The rest of it, not so much. Um, but Bruno Mars does like a five-minute drum solo yeah. to start it and then just goes off on a full-on funk attack. And he's killing it so much that when the Red Hot Chili Peppers come on at the end, you're like, no, no. Get them off. Get them off. Get them out of here. Yeah. We want Bruno. We don't want you old, strung-out heroin addicts. Um, I'm embarrassed to say I felt the same way. Yeah. I love the Chili Peppers. I, I, I love the Chili Peppers. Yeah, but there's a time and a place. Time and place. The Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Maybe 20 years ago. Yeah, maybe. Have they been around that long now? They have, haven't they? The only like old yeah, school. Yeah, 95. Yeah, the only old school. Even the Who, who I love, were terrible at the Super Bowl. Um, the only old school rock band that was that I thought killed it was U2, and that was the 9/11 year. Where they had like the big screen with everyone who died, and Bono opens up his jacket. And he's got like a hand-sewn American flag inside. It's just, and they're just great performers. But you know, I'm all about the younger artists. I don't know why Katy Perry was the one. I was like Miley and Bieber, baby. Like who cares? Like I don't even like Justin Bieber. Like just put the two of them on stage. Let them be total freakazoids and just see what happens. Like why not? You know. I still loved. Um, I loved Katy, but. I just don't think I don't think her voice is that I love remarkable. Her voice. Really? Yeah. Eh, I'll take Miley or Beyonce. 
I will take Beyonce over all of them. Yeah. But I seem to be the only one of my friends who feels that way. That's the same with me. Yeah, I, I defend Beyonce to my grave. Yeah, same. Yeah. She's a performer and an artist. She's got a lot going on. Well, it's but this is the Scarlett Johansson thing, which is that, you know, it's like... She's so beautiful that it's easy to just say, oh, she's not really a good actress, or oh, she's not really a good singer. You know, just it, it, you only like her because she's beautiful or whatever. <laughs> see, I like Miley because not only is she pretty messy, like me, she's also really talented. Right. Yeah, and that's her redeeming quality. Although she's so she is human. But she is beautiful when she wants to. Of course she is, yeah. but she's so human yeah. about it. Yeah. I think that's why I relate to her more than I relate to artists like even Beyonce. Because even while she's incredibly talented, she seems so flawless all the time. Right. And Miley's like, no, nah, I'm pretty messed up. I'm going to be really upfront about it. And you're going to like me anyway. But they're, the both, is, I do. but they're both putting on acts in different ways. I agree. Beyonce is so putting on the flawless performers. acts. Of course. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying yeah. is that you and I recognize that this is going on. But I think people find reasons to hate both sides. Oh, Beyonce, she's too, you know, she's too perfect. She's too flawless. And Miley, oh, she's just a freak and a punk and a, you know, and this and that and whatever. And, you know, it's, again, you know, it just goes back to, it's like, what, it's all about expectations. What expectations you bring to it, right? And I never thought I would say I'd be a Miley Cyrus fan, but... I remained open to it, and I don't listen to her music a lot, but if she's doing a performance on TV or, or on cable or on something, there. like I'll yeah. totally check it out. Yeah. And she plays guitar, which I fucking love. I mean, I'm, any girl that rocks out and plays guitar, like, sign me up. I am there. So we have gone on quite a journey here across pop culture, which I love to do, and uh, Brooke who is a buddy of mine, and we're trying to do some music together, apparently are both nerds, and none of this was even known, and this is the beauty of podcasts and of the Bizzlecast, and so I had a great time. Um, do you have anything else you want to share with the audience? Oh God, nothing that wouldn't take another hour of our time. No, but thank you for teaching me so much about how much you like nerdy crap like I do. Absolutely. This might be have to be the first part in a running mini-series going forward, especially because we've got, what, we got Terminator, we got Hunger Games, we got Star Wars. Call, call it a Nerd Talk on the Bizzle? Ooh, Nerd Talk on the Bizzle, I like that. There you go. That's, there you go. That's well, you can have sound effects for it. All right, people, thanks for joining us. I will see you next time talking about God Knows What. Bizzle out.